Welcome to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean, Steady P, Patrick Stedman on the controls. It's our first episode of the new year, so happy 22 to you guys. And um, you can say the same thing about the avalanche, right, Arif? They're taking care of business in 2022 and, and two W's consecutively. Not only two W's consecutively, but two Come from behind wins there for the Avalanche. So a great start to the new year. It sure was, and it didn't look like they were having the best of starts on Sunday, but they came back. They got it done. They had a better start yesterday against the Blackhawks, fell behind, came back, got it done. So it, it, it feels nice to see the Avalanche come out of a break like that and play well because I think for the last three seasons that you and I have been doing this, we always start one of these podcasts off with, yeah, they're coming off a long break. They look sluggish. They'll get it back together. They'll, they'll get it back. But this time they just got it back right away. Yeah, naturally. And I mean, going back to last season when we'd see the COVID pauses and a, a team would have to you know, stop play for a couple of weeks and then they'd come back. Usually they'd step right in and lose. And that's kind of what I was worried about against Anaheim is, you know, they had that long break. Anaheim had been playing. This was, this was already their third game back from Christmas and the Avalanche finally got in the swing of things later in that game. But yeah, a, a, a tough start in that one for sure. I mean, this just brings it back to everything that the players say is, is this is a good team and throughout the season. And I think we often forget that, like, if you're an Avalanche fan and you've been a fan of this team for decades or at least 10, 15 years since Duchesne was drafted, which doesn't even feel like that long ago, sit back and remember what it was like to be a fan of this team between the years of 2006 or 2004, I should say, and maybe 2018, you know, the years after Patrick Waugh retired. Like there was a stretch there. They made the playoffs in 04. They made it in 06. They missed seven. They made it eight. They missed nine. They made it 10. They missed 11. They almost made it 12. They were dead last in 13 they made it 14 and then they lost like four straight years in a row so like let's always sit back and remember how good this team was because every time we ask the players every time i'll ask them like oh you guys have a tough game coming up in toronto back on december 1st you guys have a tough game coming up with uh, vegas coming into town or minnesota coming into town they always say the same things and it's always nathan mckinney says we're a good team we expect to win every game and I think we forget that. So, yes, coming off a break against the Anaheim Ducks, who have had a hell of a season, who have some shiny players, uh, some players that have been shining bright, I should say, there, and Troy Terry, uh, even Trevor Zegris, Getzlov, obviously both didn't play. Even with all that, they still could beat them. And the Blackhawks, even with the fact that they've been getting goal scoring, granted they've been letting in a lot more goals, uh, you still expect to win. And and now we're going into a homestand playing against a bunch of good teams, well, two of three good teams, and you still have that expectation that this team should win. They are one of the better teams in the league. That's exactly it. Expectations, right? I mean, for years, the Avalanche have, like you said, been in and out of mediocrity. So the years that they would make the playoff, cool. They made the playoffs. Let's see how much noise they can make. It ended up not being much. But now this is a legitimate team. I mean, you saw it yesterday with Kale McCarr's goal, which we'll get into in a second. But the legitimacy of this team brings more expectations. It brings more pressure. So I think... Really, this year is more about managing that expectation, managing that pressure, and not letting it get to you, and just simply going out there and performing. And it seems like they've cleared that hurdle, right? I feel like in years past, they were very, I guess, in their head team, where this year it feels like they've gotten out of their head and they're just getting to work. They're listening to Jared Bednar's philosophy, which is work hard, work hard, work hard, and they're seeing it work out for them. And it doesn't matter who's in and out of the lineup. Right. That's the that's the part that matters most is, you know, Devon Taves and, and uh, Val Nichushkin both missed early parts of the season and uh, they struggled a little bit. But then Devon Taves came back. Nichushkin came back. Byram went out. McKinnon went out. Landeskog went out. Comfer went out. Kadri missed a couple games here and there. It doesn't. And now Nichushkin's out again. Darcy Kemper missed some games. Pavel Francouz is finally a thing again. Like, it doesn't matter who's missing from the lineup. Somebody else will step up. I mean, like, how long has it been since we've seen Darren Helm do something offensively? It's been a while, right? But there was a couple games there when him and Logan O'Connor were teaming up for a shorthanded goal seemingly every night. There was a couple games there where Andre Burakovsky was scoring a hat trick or close to it. There was a couple games where Val Nichushkin was dominating. 
every single game Nazem Kadri's been on the score sheet. It's always somebody else. JT Comfort, beginning of the season, remember that? 10 points in like 12 games. So we're like, holy shit, he's back. But when Byram leads defensemen, defensive rookies in goals, even though he's played like 13 games or something like that. So they've got the depth. They've got the team. They've got the ability to do it. And uh, now they're just kind of going out every night, even though they're healthy, minus a couple guys. They're going out every night and they're just getting to work. Right. I mean, you look back at the season that's passed so far, and you really think about the the guys they've been missing throughout and still finding ways to win, finding ways to persevere through that. Now that they have the lineup that they have, I mean, really just missing Nichushkin, right? And that's the only thing kind of throwing off the lines. You kind of miss him in that second line there. But, uh, I mean, you see the almost the full lineup out there, and boy, they are just so dangerous when they want to be. I mean, it really seems like they have to buy in, right? There are certain times where they kind of check out of games and then they kind of check back in and take it over. But um, yeah, I mean, the talent's definitely there. It's just about putting it to work. So let's talk about that Makar goal because I think that's the topic at hand, not only around Colorado, but I think the entire NHL world is talking about that. I mean, we were fortunate enough to watch that Chicago game on ESPN+, Plus, right? And we get uh, Kevin Weeks and we get Bucigras, and man, were they in love with that goal as they should be. But we're used to seeing stuff like that from Kale McCarr. I mean, he's been scoring goals this year. He's got 14 so far in 25 games. Um, but I don't think any of us were surprised. So, uh, it, it, but regardless, it was an amazing goal and uh, just McCarr taking things over there in, in the three on three. I mean, this is something that we've spoken about in length during the season is the fact that. The Team Canada and the Winter Olympics were going to be Kel McCarr's international coming out party. It was going to be an ability for players mm-hmm. that or people that don't usually watch him to get to see him and be like, holy shit, the Avalanche really do have a good one there. Um, it was going to be the ability for them to prove like, hey, Adam Fox is great. Hey, Quinn Hughes is great. Ivan Provorov is great. All these young defensemen are great, but Kel McCarr is on his own level. And we saw that yesterday. We've been seeing it all season. We've been seeing it for three years. He's got 122 points in 126 games. And he's a well-rounded defenseman. He's not an offensively gifted, simply offensive guy. And and uh, the goal yesterday kind of proved it. What we saw different yesterday that we don't usually see, which I'm glad he did it yesterday compared to po- uh, past games because it was on national TV, was the celebration. It was him yeah. acknowledging, hey, I did something good. Even though after the game, he's like, yeah, I was a little bit lucky and blah, blah, blah. And all this humble mumbo jumbo hockey player talk bullshit uh he celebrated the goal as if he did something phenomenal because he did it was an incredible play and he did that on the tail end of a 28 and a half minute game like everything about that play is spectacular suddenly he's got three goals and four and uh, five points in his last five games and uh suddenly he's you know climbing the ranks of of both points per game and points and goals not just for defensemen for the entire league yeah I think there's a difference though that goal was just extra sick right and as a hockey player you know when you do something sick let's look back at that Connor McDavid goal what was it a couple months ago now at this point where he walks four opponents and then even he has a a look of shock on his face you realize when you're doing things well where Kale McCarr a lot of his goals he's just throwing them at the net and they just happen to go in so I think that's where he's like "Ah, I didn't even mean to score that it went in I'm not really celebrating but when you score a goal like that you get Marc-Andre Fleury to bite on your fake and then you go back to the backhand and just put it top cheese I mean that's a goal that just feels good I can't imagine there's anybody in the world that doesn't celebrate a goal that nasty so I asked him about the play yesterday post-game, not about the fact that he made Kirby Doc look silly and made the cameraman kind of have to do a stutter step like, holy shit, no, the puck's going that way. It was the way that he finished the goal after making that play on Kirby Doc is what made it all the most or all the more special. And when I asked him about it, he kind of went into this long thing about how like, yeah, it was just my instincts kicking in. Spring in the moment, you're not really thinking, it's just in the moment. And the way he described it was... I initially wanted to pass it. When they gave me a little bit of space, I tried to take it to the backside, which you saw. He was going to kind of go like all the way around Flurry and try to go back door. But he's like, Flurry was so far out, I wasn't able to do that. So I decided to cut short side and just put it backhand up top. And when you hear him explain all the things that went into his mind for what he's going to do after deking out Kirby Doc, and then you watch the play and the fact that after he got away from Kirby Doc, it was literally two strides, three strides right to the net, like... How quick is your brain going? That's 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 not a spur of the moment thing. That's a high hockey IQ guy 
that thought of two or three. Oh, and before that, he said, I initially wanted to pass it. So that's a guy that thought of three different ways he was going to score a goal in two and a half strides with his skate. Like, it's incredible when you think about it that way. And he tried to play it off as, you know, it was just a little bit lucky. It was this, it was that. But it wasn't that. His celebration proves it. And everything about that play was just exceptional. And and again, I have to reiterate this. I can't reiterate it enough. For that to happen on national television is huge. There are two parts about that goal that I want to break down. The first part of it is the Kale McCarr signature move that we're seeing now. And, of course, in a three-on-three with more ice, he's going to have more space to do this. And that's the move he does behind the net, right? He kind of gets onto one edge, mm. and he he has – it's usually his outside foot, and he's tight a- against that net as if to say, hey, I might wrap this around. You better get to the other post real fast. He does that all the time. Yeah. So he started with that move. Like you said, it wasn't there, so he kept going. The next move I want to talk about is the escape move that he did on Kirby Doc, right? Made Kirby Doc think he's going all the way back up to the blue line, just slams on the brakes and turns around. Who does that remind you of the most? An escape move that pretty? To go around the net like that? No, the escape move on Doc. Oh, the escape move on Doc. It's got Sidney Crosby vibes to it. I'm going to go with Sam Gerrard, right? Mm, I mean, he's the king of the tornado. it, It wasn't exactly a tornado, but... It's an escape move, and that, that's the whole point oh, is to yeah, escape. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. And, I, and yeah. I even saw Nazem Kadri do a similar move earlier in that game against Chicago. So looking back at those comments we heard from Nathan McKinnon a couple weeks ago when he was talking about learning from Andre Burakovsky and uh, you know how he takes notes on his shot and tries to adopt some of the things that Burakovsky does. And then you got Makar kind of perfecting this escape move. You know it's something he had in his tool belt all along, but it's something he's really learn to implement and have it in his mind after seeing Sam Gerrard successfully do it so much. You even see Nazem Kadri doing it. So again, back to what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, there's so much talent on this team and the way that they're learning off each other and using each other to kind of improve their own game. I mean, I feel like that's just such a sign of a healthy locker room and a team with a ton of chemistry that's just can can do nothing but help them from this point well, out. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that I noticed yesterday was something that I asked Eric Johnson after the game, and I was actually going to bring this up, and you just literally set me up for it with like a softy. Eric Johnson's got five goals, eight assists, 13 points, playing in all 29 games. So he's on pace for 35-plus points this season. He's on pace to hit 30 points surprise surprise for the first time since the only season that he's had that was exceptional with the avalanche which was 2013-14 when he had 39 points and he's got a lot of goals and he's doing it so late in his career when we thought eric johnson was over and done his two goal game yesterday was the first time since december of 2014 that following season the purpose and only his second one right and only his second ever yeah uh, and the purpose of all of this, and if you remember that 14-15 season, he had 12 goals, 11 assists, 23 points in 47 games. So he was on pace for that 39-point mark again, but he was on pace to do it with like 18 goals and 18 assists. He made it to the NHL All-Star game and then got a season-ending injury and was, you know, knocked him out of everything. He was shooting 10%. This year, he's only shooting 8%, but he's got a lot more shots on target, which is nice to see, which brings it to the point of what I asked him about learning from guys like Makar learning from guys like Devon Taves this is an older guy that doesn't score a lot of goals suddenly playing with defensemen that know how to pitch in offensively and he gave the quote of the night for me I know there was a lot of cool things about the Makar goal but he said I'm learning more from these guys probably more than they've ever learned from me so you have a veteran on the team he's pretty much the heart of this team you know up there with Landeskog we missed him in the playoffs last year and it was noticeable how much there was an absence there with Eric Johnson not playing and he's learning from guys like Devon Taves, who's a late bloomer, who's 27, who's been in the NHL for like a hiccup, from Kel McCarr, who was playing college less than three years ago, from Sam Gerrard, who, you know, he's been around for a while, but was 19 when he started, so he's still really young. And suddenly you got this veteran not known for his goal scoring, not even known for putting up 30 points in a season, learning from these younger players, applying it to his game at the age of 33. Everything about it is just great to see. It's great to see this team kind of rally together. Um, and learn from each other no matter who you are. This isn't McKinnon and Rantanen going through their prime together. This isn't a couple of veterans uh, you know, like Tyson Jost and JT Comfer going through it together. This is a guy who's 33 learning from a defenseman who's 23. Another defenseman is 27, and Sam Gerrard, who's around 23 as well. 
I'll never forget when, what was it, maybe three, four seasons ago when Matt Kachuk was in an interview and he had just finished scoring a goal where, you know, they put the stick between the legs and kind of roof it, you know, when they kind of skated a little bit past the puck, always tricks the goalie, right? And Matt Kachuk was asked about that goal and he's like, yeah, that's a goal I can do. I've been doing it since I was little. You're going to see a lot more goals like that, not only from me, but from a lot more players coming in. And that's what you see with this generation. There's so much skill. It's such a different mm-hmm. generation to see goals like Kale McCarr is doing, see goals like Trevor Zegras, right? Andre Sveshnikov. So, of course, this generation is going to have things to teach the older players. Of course, you know, Eric Johnson's teaching them things on how to be a pro and how to be a veteran and stuff like that. So you're really exchanging ideas there but yeah these are things that people never really implemented in a hockey game this was more something you do on a pond when you're messing around with your friends so yeah absolutely their their generations are are learning from each other right here i think more so than we've ever seen and what makes it all the more incredible is the fact that you know for some of these players like kel mccarr who is very underrated at this aspect for someone like matt kachuk they've still got that physical game so you know the older generation hockey fan that thinks that this is ruining the game, Trevor Zegers is just this highly skilled player that can't play physical. Well, then you got guys like Matthew Kachuk. Then you got guys like Kale McCart, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews. These are behemoth men playing physical, but also going out there and, exp- and and showing just how skilled they are and kind of showing off that skill. It's that Peter Forsberg effect. Like Peter Forsberg played in a generation where everybody was this big rugged guy, Jeremy Roenick style, Brendan Shanahan style, and Forsberg's out there playing this beautiful game. But if somebody steps up to him while he's trying to do something nice, he does that off arm shoulder right into their chest and just knocks them on their ass and keeps going. So it's it's really great to see where hockey is getting, and I know a lot of people don't like it. Uh, I know a lot of people complain when I write stories about how we need to take out the hits that Truba put on McKinnon or that was put on Jacob McDonald, but hockey is about the healthiest it's ever been, given the way that these guys are scoring goals. And that Kel McCarr goal yesterday was like the epitome of what this generation hockey player can do. Mm-hmm. And it's an ever-evolving game, right? I mean... You're going to see forwards naturally try to do the lacrosse goal more often, but you're going to see defensemen adjust. I mean, you kind of already have. Now when you see somebody preparing to to lift that puck up and try to throw it over the goalie's shoulder, the, the defenseman's already attacking them, going for a hit. So people are going to adjust. I remember about 10 years ago when the reverse VH was new and goals were down in the league and everybody's saying, oh, goalies are ruining the game. we got to shrink their pads again. And then what happened? The players adjusted, and now you're seeing players be able to pick that little corner that's above a goalie's shoulder when they're down in a a reverse VH more than you were able to ever. So, yeah, people who think that it's going to ruin the game, give it time, let players adapt, let let players figure out how to defend it, and you're not going to see it nearly as much. But for now, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's different, and just proving the variety of skill that you can have in this game more so than just simply dump chase go get it and forecheck right so um the game can be a lot more fun when you allow this kind of stuff but it'll it'll keep changing it'll keep adapting and what i will say to kind of close out just how exceptional that was and you know to show just how skilled the play was and the fact that it was on national television if you're listening to this get on a twitter or actually it was instagram get on an instagram pull up the at sports center twitter account Instagram account, Arif. Pull up the at sport. Let's try this again. Get onto Instagram, search Sports Center, the one with the ER, so the American version, the ESPN version, and read the comments under that Kel McCarr goal. It's a whole bunch of people going, I've never watched hockey in my life, and this is the filthiest thing I've ever seen. Someone explained this to me in basketball terms. Someone explained this to me in football terms. And you have these hilarious explanations about how he did A, B, and C crossover, and then Kyrie Irving did, or he did this, this, or this. That's how you build the freaking sport. Being on ESPN, doing things like that on national TV. I know it was an ESPN Plus game, not an actual ESPN game. But doing things on that broadcast, doing things for that channel and and that entity, that gigantic entity that ESPN is, and broadcasting it to the rest of the world that are not hockey fans. This is how you build the sport. So go read those comments. They're really entertaining. They're hilarious. It's a whole bunch of holy shit, what did I just watch from people that have never watched hockey. Yep, and what a fantastic goal it was. Again, I just can't emphasize enough how he was able to manipulate Marc-Andre Fleury there. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury loves that stuff. He lives for not being manipulated and for Kale McCarr to just treat him like a little rag doll and say, nope, I want you to go this way. He gets him to bite and then back to backhand. Just 
one of the filthiest goals I've seen from an Avalanche player in a long, long time. So I guess we'll put that behind us. Let's look more into the rest of the game. I think one thing I really wanted to point out was a report that Emily Kaplan did from In Between the Benches. First of all, how awesome of, she's a, great. of a gig that is. I mean, she's doing real yeah. well. She has a little different, I guess, tone to her, right? It's, it's funny to me because when she finishes her report, it almost feels like the commentator's aren't ready for her to be done, or they didn't know she was done. She just kind of stops. But the report she had in the middle of that game where um, she was saying that Jared Bednar just kept repeating and repeating and repeating, we got to get the forecheck going. If we want to win this game, the forecheck's going to get going, right? And so I think what I wanted to go with that is that's the, the slight negativity that you've seen in the little bit in these last two games anyway is, again, they're reverting to that behavior of not playing the full game. They turn it on at moments and they take over, which is a good sign because they're still winning, but they have to play the full game because even in, uh, in the playoffs, even a little moment of a lapse of thought, you're going to pay for it. So they got to figure out how to clean year that. Against Vegas. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a big thing. It's the fact that they're only playing parts of games. It's what they've been doing all year. It's what, or for the last couple of years, I should say. I'm not as worried about it in January as I will be if it was March or April. What I will give them credit for, we saw this last season, is as the season progressed, they started to play a full 60. Uh, they did it all the first round against St. Louis. They they did it in, against Vegas until Vegas got into their head. And we talked last show, you know, the 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 twenty twenty one year in review episode about exactly what went wrong in that series. But we saw them win the last seven regular season games. We saw them beat Vegas that two to one game to take over first place. We saw them destroy the Anaheim's and the San Jose's and the LA's leading into the playoffs. You know, five one six one going out there and just basically saying we need to treat this like a scrimmage for the playoffs and play a full game and. That's something that you're going to want to see this year. Um, game number 29, which is silly to think. They're only 29 games in. Game number 29 of the season, it's uh, it's not as concerning. Game 69, 79, yeah, it'll be a little bit more concerning. But I do absolutely think it's something that they know they need to clean up and something that they will clean up. Again, Nathan McKinnon is not going to go score three goals all season, three goals in every 20-something game stretch. Um, early in the season, he can kind of take a little bit of a step back you know, not physically wear himself out, uh, work on dishing the puck. Later in the season, he's going to need to turn it on because that's when we're going to need him to do it most. And on the topic of cleaning it up, it looks like the penalty kill needs a little bit of attention right now. I mean, that's exactly what got Chicago back into the game was back-to-back penalty kills, uh, penalty kill goals, power play goals from Chicago. One, of course, a five-on-three, that's tough. And then one immediately after on the ensuing five-on-four. And they gave up one against Anaheim. So three power play goals against in the last two games I guess I'm not sure exactly what to clean up but something has to be done there and the funny thing is Jared isn't sure either um and I'm not saying that as like a what the hell is he doing he's clueless type of way because when I asked him about this post game yesterday he said we weren't get you know we we haven't been getting the timely saves when we need them but then went on to say this is not entirely on goalie on the goalie uh this is on a b and c And then he basically went on to explain 15 different things that are going wrong and then wrapped it up with the best way he possibly could, which is it just seems like something isn't working every single time we're on the kill. And that's what's leading to a goal again. So it's just little things they have to clean up. As silly as it sounds, that's all it is. And cleaning up those little things make a world of difference in the sport of hockey because it's a bouncing rubber puck on ice with sticks and uh, weird bounces and lucky goals and deflections and a whole bunch of shit that you don't see happen in the NBA. Like there's no such thing as like a lucky shot in the NBA. I mean, yeah, you could put it up, but it's not going to bounce off of some sidewall and then go into the, you know, into the hit the backboard and go in, you know, right into the net. It's a different game. So Cleaning up the little things makes a world of difference, and that's kind of what they need to do right now. They know that, and the fact that it's game... They're bottom five in PK right now, by the way. They're fifth from the bottom, so that's 20, I want to say seventh. I always lose track of that now with 32 teams, but uh, they're going to clean... They have to clean something up, and again, it's game 29. They got 30, 40, 50 games to figure this out, which is ample amount of time to do it. And that's what makes hockey beautiful. That's why I love it so much is the... 
attention to detail that you have to give. It's the small details that really make the difference in a game. So, um, you know, like you're saying, it, it's small little things. I'm sure Jared Bednar is watching a ton of video and trying to pinpoint exactly what those things are to correct them. So, yeah, not throwing stones at Bednar by any means. I might want to throw a couple stones at Darcy Kemper. He's kind of been my, uh, I guess, whipping boy for the last couple podcasts, right? And not because I think he's playing well. I just not because I don't think he's playing well. I just think he he's still not there. He's still not fully engaged with this team. He's still not fully himself. I mean, we see him make a lot of spectacular saves. Don't get me wrong. He's saved games by himself, but he's also letting in some some crappy goals, right? And and I'm seeing him flail a little bit. I'm seeing him end up on his stomach on a few, and that's just what I don't like seeing is stomach goaltending. So, yeah, I, I really want that part to be adjusted too. I need I need to see another level out of Darcy Kemper before I'm excited and think this team's ready for a playoff run. So you will be able to answer this a heck of a lot better than I will because you're the one that's actually played the position. But correct me if I'm wrong, the goaltending position takes a lot more time to get acclimated to game than it does any other position. And what I mean by that is, you know, coming off a 17-day layover, it's going to affect the goalie a lot more than a forward or defenseman, correct? Absolutely. There's no way to simulate NHL player shots, right? So unless you're getting them in game mode, there's there's no replacement. So not only have the Avalanche been coming off these weird breaks, but we are at January 5th of a calendar year of a season that was, you know, started relatively on time, mid-October rather than like the first week of October was the second week, and they just played their 29th game. So... It's been, what, two and a half months and they've played 29 games? Like, that's an average of, what, 10, 11 games in every calendar month, all of November, all of December, plus parts of October. Actually, it's been like two months and three quarters of another month. They're playing about an average of nine or 10 games in every calendar month. So I think it's taken a little bit of time for him to get into a groove. This isn't the calendar they had last year where it was every other night and Gruby was just going out and doing their thing. And just as like a comparison... January 6, 2020, I know today's the fifth, but the closest game to it was January 6th, the last time there was a full NHL season. Coincidentally, this was the game where the Avalanche faced off against Semyon Varlamov for the first time in their career in, in his career since being acquired by the Avs and got shut out one nothing by Varley. Um, on a goal, by the way, that was assisted by Devon Taves. But that game on January 6, 2020 was the 43rd game of the regular season. Tomorrow, January 6, 2022, is going to be the 30th game of the regular season. So they're 13 games behind that pace. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is we're about to go into a rhythm. It's put up or shut up time for Darcy Kemper. He's going to play every other night or close to it with Pavel Francouz helping him out. This is his time to get into a rhythm, to not get injured, to get his you know feet under him and to start being the goalie that we know he could be. We saw it in that same year in 2020 against the Avs. Is Philip Grubauer a better goaltender than Darcy Kemper? It's hard to say. No. I, w- I would say no. At this point, with as many starts, Philip Grubauer already had three shutouts under his belt, one of which was against the Las Vegas or the but Vegas again, Golden Knights at a how, one how many How many starts are we at right now? 20 for Kemper? What's his stats? Is he 15 and 5 now? Let me go ahead and double check that. I think he's 15 and 5. Yeah, he's 15 and 5. He started 21 games, obviously. He was pulled from that one game where his skate blade gave him issues and and Johansson finished it. But let's just say 20 games because that one he didn't play much. In 20 games, he's 15 and 5. You said Gruby at this point had three shutouts. Well, Gruby's 20 games came in like a 46-day stretch. October 13th was like 100 days ago. I also think there's something in there, you know, because they were playing the same teams over and over. You get some familiarity and exactly. it's, a, it's a little bit easier to defend. But again... It's the fact that they haven't played a lot of hockey this year. October 13th was opening night. That was not 100 days ago. It was like 85 days ago, 84 maybe. And Philip Grubauer was playing 20 games in less than a 50-day stretch. So there is your difference right there. He's not getting into a groove. Obviously, being healthy, can Darcy Kemper play 20 games in 45 days, 20 games in 50 days? Or is he going to get injured? We don't know because we haven't seen it. But Grubi's got some injuries in the past, and he seemed fine last year. So this is the part where it's going to matter. And February is going to be a little bit strange because we don't know how many games they're going to play yet because they have to reschedule some things. But January is going to be a big put-up-or-shut-up month for Darcy Kemper. He's 2-0 and so far, but he's let in five goals. But it hasn't been spectacular, but it hasn't been terrible. So we'll see where it goes from here. 
Um, a couple more things I wanted to touch on from that Chicago game. How about Logan O'Connor slamming his face in the ice and missing some teeth mm. and not really missing a shift out of it? Yeah, that's 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 a hockey player for you. I guess. I don't know why he just refuses to wear a mouth guard. It could help everything, but hey, people people like that's what they like. That's a hockey player. <laughs> yep. And then uh, Nathan McKinnon passes Peter Forsberg for all-time game played in an avalanche sweater, which is pretty curious to me. I didn't expect that, right? You definitely felt like Peter Forsberg was around longer, but he was always hurt. Um, with that, I wanted to point out the back check he had yesterday, right? I think it was Patrick Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it wasn't Patrick Kane. Kale McCarr was the one that back checked on Patrick Kane and made him go to the backhand. What, what a great defensive play by Kale McCarr. But no, you saw some great back checking out of Nathan McKinnon last night, too. And uh, yeah, just I, I really like his effort. I really like his his attitude right now. I felt like in the Anaheim game, he was getting frustrated at his shots not going in. I think he ended up with six shots on goal that night, um, and none of them went in. But in the Chicago game, I feel like he's finally shifted his mentality a little bit to being more of a pass-first guy. He's like, look, my goals aren't going in this year. They're defending me well. I'm looking for these backdoor setups for my teammates. And and that's the beauty of it. You know, we saw it against the Anaheim game that you referenced, that Logan O'Connor goal, is the fact that he was able to wait until the absolute last possible moment to pass the puck. And he finished that game with three assists. And, you know, I, I told you this when we were at Ball Arena on Sunday. Right after the goal was scored and the celebration was had and they were getting ready for Anaheim to pull their goalie and all of that, I said, as soon as that play was going to end, I was going to look at you and say, Nathan McKinnon should have shot the puck. Why the hell is he passing that? He waited till the absolute last possible second and passed it to a guy that was on his off wing. So Logan O'Connor had to do a little shift and just barely get the puck over the goalie, who was a red hot goalie in John Gibson, to put that goal in and, and put the game away. So... Yeah, it's it's ultimately what it is. Is he's like, you know what? If the luck isn't on my side, let me distribute the luck to everybody else with some sick dishes, which is the kind of game that only some players in the NHL can do. Where it's like, hey, one year I'm going to be a 40, 50 goal pace kind of guy. Uh, the next year I'm going to put up a pace of 100 assists, which is pretty much what he's on pace for right now. He's nearly on pace for 100 assists in only 72 games because he missed 10. If it was an 82 game season, he'd be on pace for like 115 assists right now. So uh, just goes to show just how incredible Nathan McKinnon's game has been so far. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's gone so few games without and contributing. I know it's, and I know it's hard to say he's been playing incredible given he's got three goals. But again, if he screws us up in the playoffs, that's when you start to question him. But like every other year, when the playoffs come around, he takes it to the next level. And I 100% expect him to do that this year again. Yeah, all is well when the team's still winning. So um, with that, McKinnon continuing his point streak. Kadri keeps his point streak alive, too, and, and just continuing to wow people. I don't think anybody would have thought if if I said, hey, one of the Avalanche players is going to be in the top three in points this year in the NHL. Who do you think it is? I'm sure Kadri wasn't anybody's top guess. So he's currently fifth, but uh, he has done it in 26 games. Everybody else ahead of him has played a hell of a lot more hockey than him. 26 games is less than one-third of a season. He has 41 points. Bask in that for a second. He's on pace over an 82-game stretch, which he's not going to play 82 games because he's missed three. He's on pace for more than 120 points. And the crazy part is he's shooting 14.3%, but he also shot 14.3% with the Avs the year of COVID, 1920. He also shot 15% with Toronto in 18, 2018. He also shot 16% earlier, 17%, 14%, 13%. He's not on like a shooting bender, but he's got 30 assists in 26 games. And that's the difference right now is the fact that he's able to contribute in literally every single way. His career high for points on the power play is 19. Oh yeah, by the way, that's before I mentioned this. Remember beginning in the season, he didn't even start on that top power play unit. Bednar was like hell bent on a right a right shot being in that bumper spot and he mm-hmm. had Comfer there and then Logan O'Connor when Comfer went down and you know he tried all these different guys even Obi Kubel got a chance but Kadri kept putting up points to the point where Bender's like I, I I can't keep this guy off the top PP unit he put him on the top PP unit so let me go back into what I was just saying his career high in power play points in a season was in 2017-18 with the Toronto Maple Leafs he had 19 he also had an 18 and a 17 with Toronto He's at 15 power play points in 26 games right now. That will tell you all you need to know about what he's doing. He's contributing at five on five. He's contributing on the power play. And he's still the guy that the Avalanche love to have. He plays physical. He's got that grittiness to him. And um, 
there's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm speechless. He's got, there's nothing else to say about him. He's just having an incredible season. His 10 game point streak came to an end against Dallas on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And then his last nine games, he's got points again. So welcome to Nazem Kadri in the year of 2021, 22, when he's going to cash out massively with a contract this summer. Yeah. And it's going to break my heart when it's not with the avalanche, the avalanche won't be able Isn't that to such a bummer. Isn't that such a bummer? Like you're going to need him to literally be like, I will give you guys a bit of a pay cut. Like, I don't know, man, this is a, this is a podcast for another day, but will he take three years, 21 million or will he laugh in the face of Joe Sackick and be like, the Red Wings are giving me 8 million over seven years. Like who the hell knows, man? Yeah. And my thought, with that is also, you know, as the years continue to progress and you start having to pay some of the core guys more, how are you going to bring in valuable, important pieces that are really going to make an impact and still it's be able to be, manage that? Well, it's the fact that you have guys like Newhook on ELCs. It's the fact that you have Sampo Ranta, Oscar Olison. These guys are going to start to play roles on this team, and that's what you need, and that's why you have a farm system. As you lose the ability to pay your fourth-line center and Tyson Jost $2 million, your fourth-line winger last year in, in uh, Matt Calvert, who you know obviously didn't play much, $2.8 million, but was a big piece of this team before his injury issues. As you lose those the ability to do that, you start to replace them with 900K guys. I mean, if Kadri was to walk... And if the Avalanche were to spend a lot of money on goaltending, be it Darcy Kemper, the guy I talked about last week, Jack Campbell, or whoever it is, maybe even Marc-Andre Fleury, who knows, your second line center will be somebody like Alex Newhook. And yeah, you'll take a step back from Nazem Kadri, but how much of a step back? I don't think, and I know it's it's you can't compare the two because it's apples to oranges. It's an ELC to a guy who's 30-something years old, you know, signing his third or fourth contract in the NHL. Nazem Kadri right now makes four and a half million. Alex Newhook makes less than a million. Is Kadri four and a half times more valuable than Newhook? No, obviously not. So is it going to be a step back? Yeah. How big of a step back? Where else are, can you shore up the offense? Does losing Kadri mean you bring back both Nachushkin and Burakovsky? That's a bonus. Does losing Kadri mean you can spend more money on goaltending? That's also a bonus. But also at the same time, bringing back Kadri is a bigger bonus. So this is where you have to play with the salary cap, and this is where those ELCs really come in handy, and the Avalanche have quite a few guys waiting in the wings. Is the NHL just a constant cycle you know, f- with individual teams of, all right, it's now we got to acquire bullshit. some guys and pay them, and then now we're in a phase where we got to grow organically. Now we got to get rid of them. Now we got to start over. It's the salary cap is stupid. They should have a luxury tax. I hate this league. <laughs> and uh, lastly, before we talk about total beverage with you guys it wouldn't be an avalanche game if we're not talking about an injury <laughs> looks like the avalanche will have to miss jack johnson for a little while obviously not too bad of an injury not too big of a loss yeah we'll see uh just how long he's gonna be out if at all it seemed like he so according to bedner he had that lower body injury in the first he uh toughed it out for the rest of the period finished it up emily kaplan mentioned in the second when he was out that he should be back but it just looks like he couldn't get in so precautionary yes no kind of thing maybe he misses a game or two ryan murray's waiting in the wings he's about ready to come back so it's not a huge injury but it is a bummer because you got to have one sacrificial limb every game and jack johnson step right up for game 29 (laughs) could be worse that's all i have to say about it but um obviously this is a great chance to tell you guys about total beverage in thornton and westminster everybody already knows total beverage though right sure total beverage has an incredible selection of beer wine and spirits but did you know that they also deliver Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Uh, I guess let's just transition right into that. Anaheim game. Uh, I don't think we're going to break it down nearly as thoroughly as we did the Chicago game. More like a what have you done for me lately mindset from us here at Hockey Mountain High. But uh, it, it, again, we we touched on it. It was a good game. They went down early and, and fought back tooth and nail and ended up scoring that last game winning goal with a minute 11 left in the game. So and covered the puck line. Yes. Yeah. Sir. I mean, you pointed out they were facing a really hot Gibson, right? I mean, he's had a great year, but that game he really seemed to be dialed in and I feel like in years past when they meet a goalie like that they lose when they find a goalie that's so hot and they're getting frustrated all game long they don't find a way to persevere through it but 
Um, I'm not sure if it was the onslaught. I mean, right? They had a lot of great opportunities that um, John Gibson was just eventually unable to ward off. Or if it's more the avalanche here just finding a way to win, buckling down, listening to their coaches' philosophies, and getting the job done. Yeah, and the crazy part about it is, so the first goal that the Avalanche scored when they were trailing two nothing was with uh, that was that Devontae's power play goal, and it came more than halfway into the second period. So more than halfway into the game, it was like the thirty first, thirty second minute of a sixty minute game. And as we were creeping up on that Avalanche power play opportunity, as we were creeping up on the midway point of the game. You're trailing two to nothing against the goalie playing red hot in John Gibson. And in your brain, whether it's in the shootout, whether it's an overtime regulation, you have to put three pucks past Gibson minimum. And that's if Darcy Kemper doesn't let in another goal, which he didn't. Congrats, Darcy. That was a great game. You have to put three pucks past the good goalie the rest of the way. And in my mind, I'm like, that's not going to happen. But it did happen, and then they put a fourth on the empty netter. Darcy Kemper held his ground, didn't let in anything. Um, so it's it's a little more fascinating when you look at games like that. Like if you're trailing three to one after the first period against a really good goalie, in your mind to win this game, you got to put four past this guy, and then you got to think of what are the chances you can do that. You know, if you're a player, you're not thinking that. You're thinking one goal at a time. But if you're a fan, it's like or somebody following the game, it's like, can they really do this? So for them to be able to do that, for them to come back. In a game that was a 1 p.m. start locally on, uh, you know, against a team that had played three times in five days, coming off of a 16-day break, in front of a crowd that just really wasn't into it. Oh, my goodness. It was, the crowd. It was, the crowd wasn't into it. You know, it was, I heard it was the in, ref yelling at you players hear in the, the first yeah. period. Like, people weren't really into it. And, you know, I don't, what is what have you and I been texting about for the last two weeks? I'm so uninterested in hockey right now. It's because we're back to Zoom, we're back to empty ranks, we're back to this, we're back to that. And people came to the game and probably it's 1 p.m. The Broncos are playing the same day and it's like, whatever, yeah, we're just here because we have tickets and we can't sell them because nobody wants to buy them. So it wasn't an exciting game, but for them, it was a sluggish start all around for the fans, for the avalanche, for the goalies, for for, for the goalie, I should say. Um, but for them to come back and win it just speaks volumes about what I said earlier in the podcast, that this is a damn good team. Yeah, I think it did the the most good for the mindset of the team, right? I think you lose that team, suddenly you're in kind of a, a tough spot mentally, and it's harder for you to bounce back coming into Chicago. But I think having won that, they were confident going into Chicago, and, and you know, maybe the Chicago game didn't go as well as we would have liked as, as well as it they looked like after the first period. Yeah, exactly. But I, I you know, they, they were able to get it done. And I think it's all about mindset, right? I mean, once you have the confidence in yourself and your teammates and everybody else's ability to get it done, I mean, you pointed out that Nathan McKinnon pass with a minute left in the game, the puck is on his stick. You would think Nathan McKinnon is thinking, I got to shoot this. But with a streaking Logan O'Connor, he said, nope. He's got the better shot to uh, bury this one here, so I'm going to wait till the very last possible microsecond, but I am going to pass it over to him. And Logan's like, come on, dude, pass me the puck. I'm running out of space here. And Logan probably put that away and was like, oh, thank God I was there to, to, to finish that play. Because if you're Logan, you're like, McKinnon's used to passing this to a player that's a little bit better than me and Rantanen. Rantanen or, was trailing. Or, or yeah, or Landeskog or something. And Logan's like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm suddenly on the ice with Nathan McKinnon with a minute left and he's about to pass me the puck. Crap, crap, crap. I can't mess this up. And he didn't because Logan's a damn good player too. Right. And uh, the same thing from Nathan McKinnon, right? You would kind of assume a guy like that sees uh, Rantanen trailing him and O'Connor across the ice you'd think he's thinking, all right, I'm either shooting this or I'm dropping this back to Rantanen. But the, the fact that he has the confidence in a guy like Logan O'Connor, of course O'Connor's yeah. earned it this year, really proved himself, but I think we're seeing a different version of Nathan McKinnon that's less hard on his teammates, right? And isn't that nice? <laughs> Man, is that necessary too? They, they really needed they him, need to, him yeah. to, to chill out on that front. Yeah, and, and he's done a damn good job at that lately. And you know, the last two games, he's really loosened up and that's what you need from him. So it was a nice play. It was a nice pass. It was a nice finish. It was, it was a good game. It was a good ending to a game that just started so sluggish. It ended up being really exciting and fun to close it out the last, the last half of the game. Yep. Strong power play, too, I think really helped them yes. get through that one, um, which has kind of been the story all year. I think the, the avalanche power play is really dangerous. And when that top unit's out there, you're almost expecting a goal. And when they don't, when they can't even generate a chance, which is rare, but you do see it every once in a while, um, 
you're kind of saying, what the hell is wrong with these guys? But no, they are just so good, so dangerous. And when they have the man advantage, I mean, you see it when they have empty nets, right? And the, and the, the tenacity that they have when they're down in a game and they have an empty net and they figure out a way to get it done, but they also don't let the other team even get a sniff of the puck. So when they have a man advantage, they are just amazing. And it's because they've got two strong units, which they haven't had in year past. They have that stacked top unit with Kadri on it, and they still have a second power play unit that can put up goals that is damn good at it. And some nights is a lot more dangerous than their top guys. And that top unit is an all-star line. It's literally, right? it's an all-star line with Nazem Kadri, who's got 41 points, and Kel McCarr, who's the best defenseman in the NHL. Like it's, it's everything about it is a stacked unit. This isn't like four guys and no offense, JT Comper or four guys and no offense, uh, Burakovsky or, or, or Sven Andrigetto. <laughs> yes, Sven Andrigetto. If you want to go back to those years, this is four guys in the top three, the top line, Kale McCarr, who are all all-stars and Nazem Kadri, who again, 41 points, fifth most in the NHL in just 26 games. Yep, so with that, let's look ahead at what's coming next. You touched on it at the top of the show, but they've got a three-game homestand here coming up with Winnipeg, Toronto, and then the Seattle Kraken. So I guess, um, what, what are you expecting? Nine straight wins at home. Franchise record is 10. Do you think they're going to beat it? Well, in order to beat it, they got to beat the two better teams of that three-game stretch in Winnipeg and Toronto, and I, I think they're going to do it. I think this is a good team that's going to you know, rattle off six, seven, eight straight wins coming out of the Christmas break and the COVID break, and they're already at two. So Winnipeg is going to be a tough game because you got a goalie in Hellebuck like Gibson that can steal games, but I think they'll do it. And then Toronto, you got an even better goalie and my boy, Jack Campbell, <laughs> but, but you got a really good team there, but you've also got a team that you were embarrassed against a little over a month ago and you want to kind of stick it to them a little bit because now you have your starting goalie, you have a healthy lineup and you're on home ice and you're going to be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to give it back to you here. So I think they'll do it. And then against Seattle, you got three big returns. Jonas Donskoy, the goalie, Philip Grubauer, and that one guy that writes for the athletic friend of the show, Ryan Clark, but it's going to be a fun night. Habibi, Habibi of the show. It's, it's going to be a fun night because, uh, Again, it's 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 not the best team in the NHL by any means. It's one of the worst teams, actually. But it's going to be fun because it's Grooby, it's Donskoy. It's a expansion team coming to town for the first time, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of sentimental storylines there, I guess, more so than the uh, X's and O's, right? Um, but yeah, with Winnipeg, they're, they're just such uh, an underachieving team this year. I mean, they have the capabilities of being really strong. They've got some good scores. Kyle Connor's having a great year. Like you said, Connor Hellebuck is always a threat. But they just don't seem to have it fully. They don't seem to be clicking. I, yesterday they won a tough game against the Arizona Coyotes. They were winning 2-1 pretty much most of the game and then ended up with an empty netter. So to struggle that much against the Coyotes, I don't believe that the uh, Winnipeg Jets are in their top form right now. They're not. They have some nights where they play like the best team, that they, the, the, the better team that they can be, and then some nights like yesterday where they struggle against the Coyotes. And which version are we going to get against? Are we wow? Which version are we gonna get against the Avalanche? We'll find out. It's early, guys. It's 11 a.m. We started this podcast at 10. It's a little bit earlier than we usually record, so I haven't had any carbs yet. So it's a it's a struggle bus right now. But regardless of how good the Winnipeg Jets play, in the end, it's the Avalanche. It's a good team. It's a healthy team, and it's someone that should beat the Winnipeg Jets. Toronto is going to be the bigger concern, but you should win that. You could win that game too. Yeah, I mean, they're at home. It seems like they're really feeling themselves at home. I don't believe in home ice advantage in hockey, but there's something there. There's something to the Avalanche being 11-2-1 at home and 8-6-1 and one on the road. And this is a team that last year won a ton of games on home ice as well. So they've been doing it for a few years now, man. Ball Arena, they don't lose a lot of games. They were 22-4-2 last year. In 2019-20, they were, I believe, 18-9-6. Uh, so they were losing a lot of overtime games, but this isn't a... Well, actually, that was pretty bad in 2019-20. Well, the last two years, they've been really good. So uh, this isn't a team that loses a lot on home ice, and, and um, this isn't a team that loses a lot when you're at the game. So as long as you show up to those games, we'll be good. Yeah, and then we need the crowd to have some energy, for God's sake. Yes. I feel like yes. maybe one or two games this year, I really felt like, all right, the crowd is into it, and they weren't even into it from start to finish. So who knows what we, what we got to do to wake the crowd up, but I don't think the uh, Bud Light Seltzer find the ball under the can <laughs> game is the trick <laughs> oh man arenas have been doing the same shit for 30 years they're so terrible um last thing shout out to terry fry for pointing this out but um 
I think it was fun to see Seth and Caleb Jones yesterday against Chicago while Popeye Jones currently is holding the reins as the Nuggets head coach while Mike Malone is out with uh, COVID right now. So uh, just kind of a fun little Denver yeah. storyline there. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people talked about Seth Jones being the guy the Avalanche draft uh, back in 2013. Obviously, they made the right decision in McKinnon, but it's because of that connection to Denver and the fact that Popeye is now back here and uh, doing his thing as the head coach now. Yeah. Fill-in head coach, I should say. Yeah, and we'll we'll let the uh, Nuggets podcast give you their opinions on, on his <laughs> coaching style. I'll save mine. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think that's a, a great place for us to stop here. We'll probably be back when or Sunday, I mean, after the two games here against two Canadian teams, yep. the Jets and the Leafs. And then we'll break down what uh, the Seattle Kraken game is going to look like. But I, I'm thinking two wins here. I'm feeling two wins, home crowd, home ice. Abs are buzzing right now. I, I have no reason but to think otherwise. Yeah, and um, I guess for my closing thoughts, what I will say is a really cool stat, courtesy of the Avalanche's PR team. The Avalanche are 19-8-2 through 29 games. Last year, they were 19-8-2 through 29 games. In 2019-20, they were 19-8-2 through 29 games. This is a good team. They're a consistent team, and they're doing it again. Yep consistency they just got to get to the floor check and get to working hard for 60 minutes of the game and then this team's unstoppable man if only Kale McCarr could play 60 minutes I just want him to score 10 goals one night they had six against the Red Wings before the halfway mark I'm like could this be the night and then no there was only seven so just give me one 10 goal game we saw nine against Arizona last year we saw nine against the Matt Duchesne Predators the year before have yet to see 10 at Ball Arena since I've been here and I think since forever since the 90s but it would be nice to get to 10 and give me a shutout. I want one shutout by the time ten January and nothing. I want is 10 over. 10 and nothing against the Winnipeg Jets. Well, well they got back-to-backs with Arizona. If there's any any 10 nothing game in there, it's one of those two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for this episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Thanks so much to everybody for hanging out with us. Check out our Instagram page. It's just getting started. We're just getting in the swing of it, but we got some fun stuff on it. It's a, it's a little bit of a skeleton right now, but we're, uh, we're going to be ramping it up. Shout out to everybody that's already searched it and followed it just because we kind of mentioned it last episode. So... It'll build with time, but um, we got some cool stuff coming on there. And don't forget to like and subscribe and leave a five-star comment for the podcast. Those are really big, and I need to push them a little bit more. Absolutely. So once again, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. As always, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Hockey is for everyone, and we out you.